Good morning. Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, through chapter 16, verse 3, which can be found on page 55 in your pew Bible. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he put them to the test. He said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give heed to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Really just a little right, light reading to get us started uh, for this morning. Uh, we, we're starting a new series today called Storytime. In just a moment, I'm going to invite children to come up here and join me on stage. But why are we doing this, uh, doing this series where we, we're inviting our kids into worship and taking a break with Sunday school? Well, there are two reasons. First, one of the responsibilities of those of us who are raising up the next generation of, of Christian believers is it's, it's our responsibility to help teach them the rhythm of worship. So that throughout the course of their lives, they will know how to be a part of this, this corporate body that's worshiping God together. Uh, but there's a second reason as well. We have all these volunteers that help in our Sunday school program. And by doing a program like this, where we invite our young people into worship and expose them to the rhythms of worship uh, with adults, we are, are giving those folks a little bit of a break over the course of the, the next few weeks. So I'm delighted to, to be able to doing this, to, to do, be able to do this series called Storytime without any further ado. I want to invite all the kids in the church to come join me here on stage. All right, so we're going to start each week of this series when you guys are up here by doing a little bit of a jam to get jam session together. But we're going to do the same song. So uh, many of you will already know this song, but if you don't, you'll learn it this week and you can help us sing it next week. And each week we'll add an extra verse. And the song goes like this. If you know it, you can sing along with me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. 
I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Let it shine You got it? You with me? Because I feel like some of you were reserved that time. Let's rock it. Are you ready? Here we go. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Guys did pretty great that time. Next week we'll learn a new verse and it will be even increasingly more awesome than it was this time. But thank you guys for starting this way with me. And, uh, this is the thing I'm excited about today though. Here it is. We're at the moment because I want to share with you one of my favorite books in the world. It's called The Pout Pout Fish. Yes, I love this book. And uh, we're going to read the book together, and then we're going to talk about a lesson that comes out of this book. Are you ready? Buckle up. You have it too? I'm glad. All right, here we go. The Pout Pout Fish by, fish by Deborah Deason. Deep in the water, where the fish hang out, lives a glum, gloomy swimmer with an ever-present pout. I'm a pout pout fish with a pout pout face. So I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. Blub, blub, blub. (laughs) Along comes a clam with a wide winning grin and a pearl of advice for her pal to take in. Hey, Mr. Fish, with your crosstown frown, don't you think it's time to turn it upside down? Says the fish to his friend, nice thought, Miss Clam. I hear what you're saying, but... It's just the way I am. I'm a pout-pout fish with a pout-pout face. So I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. Blub, blub, blub. Along comes a jellyfish. He floats through the ocean, his tentacles all trailing in a gentle locomotion. Hey, Mr. Fish, with your staly, scaly scowl. I wish you wouldn't greet us with a grimace and a growl. Says the fish to his friend, Mr. Jelly, I agree. I'd like to be more friendly, but it isn't up to me. I'm a pout-pout fish with a pout-pout face. So I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. Blub, blub, blub. Along comes a squid. Quite a slender, squiggly sight. She is squirmy, she is squelchy, she is slightly impolite. Hey, Mr. Fish, you kaleidoscope of mope. How about a smile, a little joy, a little hope? Says the fish to his friend, Mrs. Squid, I would try, but I haven't any choice. Take a look and you'll see why I'm a pout-pout fish with a pout-pout face. So I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. Blub, blub. Blub. Along comes an octopus with eight great arms covered on the underside with tiny sucker charms. Hey, Mr. Fish, let me tell it to you straight. Your hulky bulky sulking is an unattractive trait, says the fish to his friend, Mr. Eight, my chum, 
With a mouth like mine, I am destined to be glum. I'm a pout, pout fish with a pout, pout face. So I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. Blub, blub. Nailed it. Now, along comes a fish in a silent silver shimmer. The gang has never seen before this bright and brilliant swimmer. She approaches Mr. Fish, but instead of saying, hey, she plants a kiss upon his pout, and then she swims away. Mr. Fish is most astounded. Mr. Fish is just aghast. He is stone-faced like a statue. Then he blinks and speaks at last. My friends, says Mr. Fish. I should have known it all along. I thought that I was pouty, but it turns out I was wrong. I'm a kiss-kiss fish with a kiss-kiss face for spreading cheery cheeries all over the place. So I'll kiss and I'll kiss and I'll kiss, kiss, kiss and I'll kiss. That's my book. What do you think? Do you like that book? Yeah? I love that book. Hey, you know why I like that book so much? Because here, here's why. So the pout pout fish was kind of glum, right? He was sad all the time. And what was weird about that is he was surrounded by all these friends, right? He had a squid come up to him. He had a clam. He had a jelly. He had all these friends coming up to him. And yet he just couldn't find it in himself with all these blessings of friends around him. He couldn't find it in himself to be joyful. And then something changed. And here's the thing. Here's the cool lesson of this book, right? It's that there are some good times in our lives and some bad times in our lives, but the truth is this. Most of the time, we get to decide whether we are going to be joyful or not. Most of the time, we get to decide whether or not we're going to be joyful. And you know how we can actually help ourselves to be more and more joyful? Increasingly happy? You know how you can do that? There's a very simple way we can help ourselves be happier and more joyful. It's by counting our blessings. What's a blessing? A blessing is something that God has given to us. It's something that we love and something that we enjoy. I'm just wondering, do any of you guys have any blessings in your lives that you're grateful for? Anybody? A blessing is something that God has done. A blessing is something cool. Like, for example, do any of you like to go to school? A couple of you, that's a blessing. Do any of you like to be out for the next two months of school? That is also a blessing, right? It's something that is in our lives that we're thankful for and we're grateful for. Who who has a blessing in their life that they like? Who has something? What's a blessing in your life? A stuffed animal named Curious George. That's a great blessing. What do you got, Aiden? To have been born. The gift of life. How about over here? A guinea pig is a great gift. Yes. Your family is a wonderful blessing. Books are great blessings. Your baby brother is a great blessing. Friends. How about you? What do you got? Each other. Yes. What? Talk to me. Mommy's a great blessing. Yes. Horses are a great blessing. Yes. See, the thing is, once we start to think about our blessings 
and all that God has done for us, it's easy to start naming the next ones. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, brothers, sisters, friends, toys, school, being out of school. There are all the blessings that God has given to us. And when we start to think about the blessings God has given us, joy starts to bubble up inside of us. It's hard to be a pout-pout fish when you think about all the blessings that God has given to us. So, have you guys enjoyed hanging out with me up here? I appreciate that you have come to hang out with me up here. I want to invite you to come hang out with me again next week. But before we go, would you guys pray with me? So here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to say a line. I'm going to invite you guys to repeat it. Okay, here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us and for giving us all our blessings. Help us to be more joyful and let our light shine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can head back and have a seat with the folks who brought you. I want to say thanks to all the responsible adult partners who helped uh, me while we're up on stage here. I'm very grateful for them this morning. Hey, I want to ask you to do something with me. So um, part of our job is to teach our young people how to be in worship and experience the gift of Christ. And part of that involves helping them become more familiar with Scripture. So this morning, I'm not going to show the Scripture on the screen. I want to invite you, if you would, to grab the Bible you brought with you. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew back in front of you. And turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, it's on page 55. And if you've got a young person sitting next to you, would you would you just help them open the Bible to that space and share that passage with them? We're going to walk through this passage for just a couple of minutes in our remaining time this morning. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. It's on page 55 of the Pew Bible. Here's what it says. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea. All right, pause. Wait a minute. We know that place. We've heard of the Red Sea before, yes? Three of us have heard of the Red Sea before. Hallelujah. We have heard of the Red Sea before because something amazing happened at the Red Sea, yes? And not only at the Red Sea, something amazing happened before the Red Sea even came into the picture. You see, God's people have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and God couldn't handle it anymore. God couldn't abide by God's children being enslaved anymore. So God sent Moses and told Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. So God does what God does. God begins to change Pharaoh's mind. Ten plagues it takes to change Pharaoh's mind, but eventually Pharaoh does what God expects him to do. Eventually Pharaoh says to Moses, take your people and get out of here. And so Moses and the Hebrew children are set free. And they begin their journey towards a promised land, but they come across the sea, the Red Sea. And by that time, Pharaoh had decided he'd made a mistake. He didn't want to let his laboring population go, so he and his army went after them. By the time the people of Israel got to the Red Sea, they were caught between a rock and a hard place, a sea on one side and an angry army on the other side. And all of a sudden, God did something amazing. God parts the Red Sea. 
and the people walk through on dry land. What has happened for the Hebrew children is that God set them free and God parted the sea. That's their new story. They have been set free by a God who parted the sea. That's their story. And so the next chapter has has begun to be written. Beginning here in chapter 15, verse 22, Moses ordered the Israelites who have just experienced God's freedom. God, Moses says, let's go. They, they, they set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it's called Marah. In Hebrew, the word Marah means bitterness. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Stop for just a second. It wasn't just that God set them free and parted the sea. God also had taken their experience of bitterness and turned it into something sweet. Has that ever happened in your life? God has taken something that we were bitter and angry about and God reconciled within us something new. God set them free, parted the sea. God turned their bitterness into sweetness. Look in verse 27. They came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they camped there by the water. There were 12 tribes of Israel. God took them to a place where each tribe would have its own spring. God gave them shade in the midst of the wilderness. God had provided everything, everything for them. And so beginning in chapter 16, verse 1, God's people called Israel, sang praises forevermore to God's holy name. Is that what yours says? Me either. Man, I wish that's how the story went. But here's what it really says. God had set them free and parted the sea. God turned their bitterness into sweetness. And in chapter 16, it says, The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. If you listen closely, you can hear the Hebrew children saying, Blub, blub, blub. They were the first pout, pout fish. All the blessings parted the sea and set them free, turned their bitterness to sweetness. God had given them everything. And they were consumed by pessimism. Complaint. There are two mistakes that I think the Hebrew children make in this passage, and therefore two areas, I think, for us to learn. The first mistake is this. When the people complain, they say to Moses, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Because that's where we had flesh pots. What's a flesh pot? Well, a flesh pot is basically an ancient Near Eastern piece of Tupperware. That's what it was. That's where they kept their food. 
And so uh, the, the idea, the image that's being conveyed here is that while they were in Egypt, they had the ability to go to these flesh pots, these pots filled with flesh that had meat in them, and to take out these choice pieces of meat and grill them each night for their dinner. What was the occupation of the Hebrew children while they were in e- Egypt? Anybody remember? They were slaves. Do you think it's probably an authentic rendering of their history to suggest that they had the opportunity to cook out with steak every night? I don't. Here's the lesson. The Hebrew children were remembering a past that didn't exist. And sometimes I do that too. And probably you do. Sometimes we remember a past that was worse than our past actually was. We can do this in the context of relationships. We can we can invent something that was a, a hurt to us that really wasn't that deep of a hurt. We can do that. Sometimes we misremember the past being worse than it was. Other times we misremember the past being better than it was. That's what the Hebrew children were doing. It's nostalgia. Run amok. There are times that we talk about, I talk about the good old days. And there is some beauty in our past, but it's worth remembering that the good old days weren't good for everybody. And they weren't good all the time. There were some times, particularly people of color, particularly women, people who were disenfranchised, people who were poor, people who couldn't get health coverage or medicine. There were some tough times in those good old days. My point is this. The Hebrew children were remembering a past that didn't exist. Sometimes we can remember a past that didn't exist and nothing good ever comes from remembering a past that doesn't exist. But it leads us to the second point. While the Hebrew children were remembering a past that didn't exist, they were forgetting the past that did exist. They were forgetting the story of how God saw them entrenched, broken, enslaved, and God couldn't abide it anymore. So God came and set them free and parted the sea. God turned their bitterness to sweetness. They forgot all about that and it didn't take them long to begin complaining. It didn't take them long to become bitter. It didn't take them long to become pessimistic. Blub, blub, blub. So how? In a world that seems to be overrun with pessimism and anger, how do we as God's children inhabit joy? Well, first let me say this. You have a right to joy. What do you mean? I'm not talking about because we live in these United States. Listen to me. It is the the birthright of the children of God to be people of joy. You should be writing this down. This is gold, right? It is the birthright of the children of God to be people of joy. It is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So how then do we experience greater joy, particularly in an increasingly pessimistic world? The equation is simple. We remember all that God has done and is doing in our lives. We remember that we too were enslaved in very dark moments until we heard the call of Christ in our lives and He set us free. There are some people in this room who could tell some stories about some seas that God has parted for them. Amen? Our past is the past of rescue, of salvation. Of a God who held nothing back to save his kids. 
But it's not just remembering our past. It's remembering the blessings of our present moment. This past week, I I had a chance to be at the 227th gathering of the Virginia Annual Conference of Methodism. And and I was gathered in the Berglund Center in Roanoke, Virginia, and one of the most beautiful experiences was was the closing worship experience. And we, we were seated there. My whole family was with me. And uh, this, this little girl, couldn't have been more than 11 years old, came up to the podium to read Scripture. There are thousands of people in this room. And she starts to read the Scripture. She gets to about the third word, and she fumbles the word. So she starts again. She gets to the third word. She fumbles the word. And then you see tears start to come. And as you can imagine, everybody in that room, our hearts were growing for this child. And so I watched as the bishop got up from the table and walked over to this little girl, put an arm around the girl, and then the bishop started to read the scripture with her. And then every voice in the arena started to read the scripture with her. And I thought to myself, my goodness, this is the church. In those moments of fear and trepidation and anxiety, to stand up and speak words of hope and truth and light into each other's lives, what a blessing it is to be part of the church. What a blessing. I don't always get to sit with my family during worship because most of the time I'm up here. So yesterday for the first time in worship... I got to hear my son say the Lord's Prayer in a corporate worship setting and I was praying the Lord's Prayer and I heard him saying it and I just stopped and I listened to my little boy. And I thought about not only the blessing that child is to me, but about the blessing it is to be able to raise him in a faith so that he now knows the prayer that Jesus taught all of us about how to pray. Towards the end of worship, I I had my eyes closed, my head was bowed. You know, I was doing the traditional Methodist prayer thing, right? And my wife elbowed me. And pointed to our daughter. She's five. And I looked down and my, my daughter was standing there praying like this. Now, here's what you may not know. This is an ancient prayer posture. It's called the Oran's posture. Uh, they teach you how to do it when you're in seminary. You'll see me do it sometimes when I'm instituting the communion sacrament. It's, it's a prayer posture that's designed to help us remember that it's not just prayer with our minds and our lips and our souls, but that we're offering all that we are to God. That we're receptive to what God wants to say to us. God, use me. This is that posture. I looked down and I saw my daughter inhabiting this ancient prayer posture. And the thing is, I didn't teach her how to do it. One of you did in children's ministry. And I thought, what a blessing. There are so many blessings. There are so many blessings. You saw it when we started to popcorn blessings up here with the kids. Once they started to think about their blessings, you couldn't slow them down. Blessing after blessing after blessing. It's the same thing with us when we remember where God brought us out of. When we remember all that God has given us, joy begins to erupt and light begins to shine. So yes, yes, there is a world around us that's pessimistic and filled with complaint. Don't give in to it, for you have a birthright. As the child of God, joy, joy is your inheritance. How do we find it? We remember all that God has done for us, and we count the blessings of this day 
and watch as joy erupts inside and our light shines to all the world. So I send you forth as the blessed children of God, filled with joy because of all that God has and is doing for us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you. Because if we really try to start naming the the gifts that you have placed in our lives, we quickly realize that they are too many to count. We give you thanks because every good and perfect gift comes from you. We give you thanks that when we were lost in the midst of our sin and our fear and our estrangement, that you came in search of us. You set us free and have parted our seas. You've turned our bitterness into sweetness. In the desert, God, you have given us the water. You've given us the shade. You've given us the manna. You've given us all that is worth having. So we thank you for families and friends, for a church family. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you, O God, for all the blessings in our lives. Forgive us for the times that we have given ourselves over to pessimism. And help us this day claim the inheritance that is rightly ours as children of God, an inheritance of joy. It comes from seeing all you have done and are doing for us. In the name and to the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. And once more all of God's people said, Amen.